Do you want to run further, faster, or stronger? Do you want to enjoy your running more and generally be a better version of yourself? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Alan Ladd, a running coach and nutritionist. My aim is to help you improve your running from 5Ks to ultras by providing you with the knowledge and tools you need on training, nutrition, and mindset, as well as giving you the inspiration to dream bigger, achieve more in your running, and to make it fun at the same time. Welcome to the Running Rules Podcast. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Running Rules Podcast. This is episode number 34, coming back stronger physically and mentally from injuries. And to do that today, I've got an amazing guest on the line with me today, Chris Kitson of Rockstar Runners. Chris is a musculoskeletal therapist and performance coach with over a decade of experience in the health and fitness industry. He started his career in the form of personal training and team management before integrating sports massage and remedial exercise into his practice around 2012. Chris gained a master's degree in osteopathy in 2017 and has been invited to lecture at educational facilities and professional events. When not in clinic or coaching, Chris is the lead tutor for movement therapy education in Leeds, as well as heading the injuries module on the BTN Practical Academy, which is where I first came into contact with Chris a few years ago. Uh, Chris is also a running coach and founder of Rockstar Runners and is specializing in rehab for injury-prone runners to get them back focused on performance and experiencing fewer injuries in the future. He's a marathoner himself, having completed the Rob Burrow Marathon in Leeds back in May this year, and is currently working towards his first ultramarathon next month, which is a very exciting time. So Chris, it's amazing to have you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. No, it's awesome. Thank you. So um, you, I think I'd love to start with, I, I've gone back through your sort of professional um, history there, but uh, I'm really interested in where the running fitted in with this. Did that come beforehand or sort of after? Um, what, what's your running background and what's pushing you now to do a, an ultramarathon next month? Yeah, great question. I think uh, the running didn't come naturally to me at all, to be fair. Uh, I think which has really helped <laughs> in terms of a lot of the people that I work with. Um, I think the I basically got a little bit of a background in um, something called cyclo trials. Um, so it was basically riding bikes over rocks and things. And uh, I did that as a as a child up to a fairly decent level, kind of went up to um, basically doing like British championships and things like that. So a fairly high level with it. Um, and that kind of drive, really, I kind of wanted to move on into something else. Um, and it, we, we've had a little bit of chat about this before. I, was, I ended up actually into music for a little bit um, and, and that being the kind of driver. Um, and then once the music finished, then it turned into kind of more of a business perspective and kind of down with the people that I work with now. Um, the actual driver for running was more to do with actually getting myself back, just fit and healthy. And actually, a lot of the people that I was working with in, in therapy sessions, um, they were the people that that inspired me to do it, really. And that's kind of really what, what got me down that route. Yeah, that's interesting. That's similar to me in terms of, well, not not the biking. That sounds quite adventurous and, and not what I was like as a kid, but certainly getting into the music. And then I, I was in a nine to five job there and feeling like I was getting less and less fit. And that was sort of the, the driver for me to to get there as well i wonder as well um if you you say that the running was sort of inspired by the people that you saw have you struggled yourself with with injuries through your uh through your running career or before that um that's inspired you to help those people or, or again was it more that you were helping those people first and, and and you've been lucky with injuries how's that looked for you yeah a little bit of a mix to be honest i think like Initially, it was more so a case of just the people that I was I was working with, and just you know really get chatting with them. I'm I'm quite I like to think at least a bit of a, a people person, um, and I just like to find out about people. It just interests me other people's lives and just kind of chatting, you know, what's going on in the background. So that really interests me there, and just kind of got to know them and, and get quite friendly with people. I ended up 
getting into a little bit of like triathlon and stuff as well through meeting these people and actually raced with uh, some some of the people as well, went out on a lot of training sessions and things. So um, it was just found that kind of community aspect was really nice for me. Um, but yeah, I think like on the running side of things myself, I've had a few little um I suppose nothing that I'd be, I call necessarily uh, injuries per se. And we'll probably go into this a little bit later, but more so in terms of like irritation of certain areas of the body um, and kind of how that's developed. And it's been really interesting, therefore, in terms of the management of myself um, and obviously trying to basically take take my own advice, you know, and kind of put it into practice. Um, and it's really, I think, really useful as well to actually help people further when you can experience those things and and the realities of what what you're saying and what you're suggesting to people um so i've had a couple of bits i've been quite lucky i think in terms of my, my injury history on that side of things um but then looking back as well i think i've i've, I've tried at least to kind of like i say take my own advice a little bit and kind of you know really focus on you know my training loads and things and and focus on their new massive jumps on things and just be a little bit more hopefully a little bit more savvy in terms of the builds that i've been doing yeah um that's interesting a couple of things that you said there really re resonate with me because i also feel like i've been quite lucky with injuries relatively by and large um I probably hadn't done as much as I should have done until I um, did get my first injury and then have been more um, more proactive about trying to to mitigate the risk of, of injury. Um, but I'm also constantly feel like because I'm pushing my performance, and, and maybe this is this is not true, but I feel like when you're trying to push your performance, there's always sort of a fine line of there's always something that's not necessarily an injury but maybe a weakness or, or or not quite right so sometimes um i'm i might take a little bit of a a down um a back off from training or a little bit of a downtime and it's not necessarily an injury but i i sometimes refer to it as an injury so w what would you sort of describe as an injury and something that's not really an injury but more of a a weakness or an, a niggle or a uh, something that would maybe hamper your training yeah i think it's it's a really good question and it's it's actually quite unclear when you look into the literature as well like when you actually look at the research very much there's different there'll be different terms that are used but a lot of the time they tend to kind of sit within cohorts that they'll say okay anything that makes uh, you either uh, miss um, a certain amount of days of training or it might even just be a day of training can be classed as an injury um or something that uh, potentially changes your, your style of gait as well. So the way that in which we move when we're running. So if you feel that you're, you know, for instance, on a grand scale, if you're, if you're limping while you're running, for instance, uh, then, okay, we can probably class that as a little bit more of an injury um, as opposed to, you know, just, just an irritation. But again, it's when it really comes down to, it, you have to think about like kind of macro and micro injuries. So, um, you know, do we have something where there's actual physical tissue damage and it might involve, for instance, something like a trauma, um, or is it more so in terms of micro damage where it might be a little bit more what we classify as like a, an overuse injury, um, which is usually kind of more so like micro damage built up over time uh, that then becomes more so, uh, it kind of starts off as an irritation usually, but if it's not managed well in the first instance, it can quite easily develop into something obviously that's going to hamper training a little bit more um, and classify their potentially more as an injury as opposed to just an irritation really yeah that, that's that's a really good way of thinking about it and um if we're thinking about those different types of injuries um i, I know we're I'm, I'm trying to i'm putting everything into the same bucket here but um are some people more prone to these injuries um either overuse injuries or i, I guess uh, a trauma can just be unlucky i mean i sprained my ankle on a a, a race a, a fell race and it was just put my foot down in the wrong way and my, my weight going over the the other way i don't think there's any way i could have mitigated that as well the, the way i could have mitigated it was by practicing on the fells and i was a bit of a novice so uh, that certainly would have mitigated it but in terms of maybe um other injuries that aren't so clear cut as how how they've happened maybe over, overuse injuries are some people more prone to those than others and what are the reasons for that would you would you say in your experience yeah i think there's 
there's certain risk factors there. Um, again, it's the it's the kind of muddy waters of research. Again, really, there's there's no nothing that's absolute um, with regards to okay, you know, this these factors mean that you will get injured, and these mean that you won't. But there's certainly correlations between things that we start to see a little bit more as as evidence is kind of built across the decades, basically. So a lot of them, um, number one, I guess, is is actual previous injury. So if someone does have a history of previous injuries, they're more than likely going to get something again in the future. Um, again, we don't exactly know why. Uh, there can be a million and one different reasons why it might be. Obviously, we can try and kind of hypothesize when we when we speak to someone and it might be uh, either they've not addressed, you know, the thing that kind of went wrong in the first place. They've maybe not rehabbed um, as completely as they could have done um, if it's in a similar sort of area. Or in fact, if they've kind of um, overloaded a different area because of the way they're moving now, um, you know, like kind of compensation patterns and those types of things as well. That's probably one of the most common ones. Um, I think there's there's things obviously like age is definitely a factor. Um when I say age, it's always, again, it's a little bit more complex than just saying, okay, if you're over this age, then, you know, you're more likely to get injured. Um, usually what it means is it's not that kind of black and white, but it's more of that gray area around, do you know what? Most people will have an injury risk, but actually the types of injuries tend to change as we get a little bit older as well. So for instance, like on with the younger cohorts, it seems to be more kind of uh, bone stress related injuries. Um, and like patellofemoral pains and these types of uh, injuries. Um, and then with the older cohorts, I'm talking anything, to be honest, from like master's athletes, for instance, is like 35 plus. Um, but anything from there and especially into kind of 40s, 50s, et cetera, and above there, then we start to uh, look at more um, tendon-related issues a lot of the time. Um, and certainly from in terms of like the calf complex as well, uh, with changes around, for instance, like the Achilles tendon, uh, where we lose some stiffness in the Achilles tendon. So it starts to kind of overload the, the calf muscles a little bit more and therefore kind of increases that risk if if we've not kind of mitigated that with, um, I guess, I don't know if injury prevention is the right terminology. Um, injury risk reduction sometimes gets talked about, but essentially the goal is to try and prevent those injuries. Um, so anything that kind of sits under those umbrellas with regards to things like um, strength training um, and certainly power training as well, which I think doesn't really get that much. Um, it doesn't get talked about enough, probably. Um, that very much sits in with that as well, rather than just getting an area strong and then thinking, right, OK, that's enough to to mitigate all of the injury because it's often not the case. So it, there's a few different factors, really. I think the some of the biggest stuff that I tend to see is is uh, why I've developed things the way I have with my business as well is um, I kind of offer a service that's called rehab coaching. So it's very much um, kind of a coaching setting and, and you kind of get everything that you would do in a coaching environment, but obviously it's focused around the injury and the recovery through that period. Um, and it's so we can take that little bit more of a holistic view, have a little bit more time and kind of build into some of the other factors uh, like nutrition, uh, what's a sleep like, um, stress management levels and all these kind of background factors that that make such a big difference in terms of our ability to be able to recover and like actually manage the training that we're trying to achieve as well. Um, so there's a lot of different factors and it's certainly, it's multifactorial when it comes to injury risk um, and there's no specific one thing. But I think in terms of like training loads and the management of those training loads, but also how we get people through those training loads is the thing that really seems to matter. So it's dealing with the human being in front of us and, and navigating or helping to at least navigate with that person through those training loads that really matters rather than just purely saying on paper, this should work because those training loads, obviously, you know, they, they increase in a safe manner, et cetera, because we don't know what's going off in the background unless we have that information and, and bring it all together to be able to adapt things to. Yeah. I, I definitely see that with my clients. Um, you can't just give, well, people do just give a one size fits all plan. But the thing is, like you say, you don't know what's going on in the background. I mean, one of the clients I had, I came, came to me last year, who was always injured. And one thing that I did right from the get go was actually reduce his load because he, he was, uh, he's a postman. So he was doing loads and loads of 
of miles just walking around. So on paper, he possibly wasn't doing enough miles, you could say, compared to someone else at the same standard. But I knew we knew that he was doing a lot of miles, you know, rest the week outside of training. And then, as you say, nutrition, things like that, stress, all of these things play into it. I'm really interested to know when people come in, do you get people who who think that it it's them it's they're the problem their body's not strong enough um they're just prone to injury there's nothing they can do about it and how do you navigate through through that yeah yeah absolutely and and it's it's so complicated sometimes obviously like as you know you know speaking with people and it, it's it becomes almost like a bit of a belief for, for people sometimes which is can be really sad to see as well um and not 100% of the time obviously but sometimes it will it'll be based on previous information that they might might have been told um and this to be honest has been a big driver of mine for for really focusing down and and working with injured runners and really helping like not just from the physical aspect but even on a psychological side as well to to build that confidence again and you know build the trust in the body again and get them back performing um so it's I say it's so sad when they've had a conversation with someone and it's it's kind of coming across. And sometimes it, it you know it may not be the professional's fault. It may just be the way that it's been communicated and maybe what they've kind of taken on board from that conversation. Um, but they may be in a place where they they've kind of created this little bit of a downhill spiral in terms of how they feel about the body. Um, they a lot of the time people come in and they they describe that they're almost really frail as a person. Mm. Um, and that they're, they're really scared of kind of, you know, breaking down again and like, you know, this crumbling away and things like this, like all this kind of terminology. And it's so important to kind of pick up on that stuff quite early on um, and not necessarily in, in a, you know, a really harsh way or anything, but just mm-hmm. have the conversation and just say, oh, it's just interesting, you know, that you've you've brought up that kind of terminology. Can you just tell me a little bit more about that and, and how, you know, we've, we've got to this position where you feel that's the case. Um, And it's just trying to use again, those kind of more so like coaching questions to be able to kind of draw information from people and get an understanding of, of where they're at from a psychological standpoint. And sometimes spending more time there first, before we really start to deal with the physical aspects of an injury too. Um, because we need obviously a certain amount of buy-in to be able to buy into that rehab process, especially when we get to, you know, the latter stages where things will get more challenging and we're actually going to need to start loading the body a little bit more. And it might be things way above even what they've done in the past as well. So they need to be able to be, you know, have that confidence to be able to do that stuff as well. So it's all kind of part, part of that really. What are, what would some of those stages of rehab be then if someone has come in? Let let's say it is someone who's constantly got injured, um, and it has quite a lot of um low self belief and and what they're capable of. What would what would that rehab those phases of rehab look like? Yeah, yeah, great. Um, I think see starting off first with getting a sense of again them where they're at and and how they feel about their body and and asking kind of what do you think they should look like instead of me just going you know I'm going to lead this you know and I'm I'm here obviously you know for advice and guidance with things but essentially they're they're the one that are leading the, that's leading their own rehab so I need to be able to make sure that 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 person can take responsibility for that as well and understand that that's that's the process. Um, so a lot of the time, obviously, you'll hear people that might, um, you know, not m- maybe do so well in rehab as well and keep going in this kind of injury cycle. And there'll be a bit of a blame game going on. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Where they'll say, you know, I went to see this person. It wasn't great. Went to see this person. And they might have seen, you know, four, five, six different people. So sometimes, like, it, it can be, you know, it's quite, quite hard sometimes, but sometimes it can be a bit of a challenge where I have to kind of push that back on them a little bit and be, okay, what's the common denominator here? Like you've seen, you know, six different people from what you've told me, they've all given you, you know, very, you know, consistent advice and things that, you know, I'd I'd absolutely agree with. And why are we still at this point? And it's, it's those sort of questions. And again, helping people to sometimes come to the forefront and go, actually, yeah, like, you know, I've, I've not done what I've been advised to do. I've not really stuck with anything or, or not consistently. 
So I think, first of all, being seen where they're at there, like are, are they ready to make a change as well, if that's what needs to happen? Obviously, it depends on their their history. You know, have they got a history of a lot of different injuries or is this, you know, first injury? can be a very different process. Um, but certainly from someone that's got a, a history of injuries and just seemingly going around in circles with things, I think really getting down to the the kind of nuts and bolts of that first can be super useful before we even make a start on anything. So sometimes I've had conversations with people where where I've said, I don't think we're the right fit to work together mm. um, because they're just not in a position to to make those changes. Um, so it's, you know, very much, I won't just leave them high and dry. I'll say, okay, I suggest, you know, maybe speak to this person or this person um, and give them some options. But sometimes I just don't feel that they're actually in, a, in the right place to, to make those changes. So it becomes obviously a waste of more so their time and money. So just want to make sure that that's not the case before kind of moving on with people. I think once we've kind of established that and make sure, okay, we're in a good position to change. And we know, um, again, that there's a certain amount of um, kind of education there, I guess, around the human body and actually how resilient we are and, and robust and that, you know, we can take a lot more than we think we can. Like and, and building that kind of narrative a little bit, then then we can start to develop and go, okay, what sort of stage of injury are we in? Um, if it's very much like an acute injury, so as it happened, you know, within the last, let's say, seven days, um, then obviously it wants to be probably more so just a little bit of protection first, just like the symptoms settle. Um, is there any, you know, bruising, swelling, et cetera, and things like this? Very much management of that. Um, if that's not the case, then we can push on a little bit quicker. Um, but a lot of the times now, actually, in terms of rehabilitation, it used to be very much a case of when people would get going with rehab, it was like, um, say, um, like the RICE protocols, so like rest, ice, compression, elevation, things like that. Whereas we kind of moved on a little bit now from that um, and it's developed into something much bigger. Um, so it's the saying now that we can actually start to load things a lot earlier um, than we thought we could initially. And anything from about kind of two days in, which is super early, but actually if it's done in a controlled manner and it's done within managing your symptoms, then actually it can, it can produce a much quicker outcome. So I think the literature kind of said it, it was about a nine day difference in terms of like return to sport. Yeah. Um, so it's quite a difference when it comes to running. If obviously, you know, as runners are, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, we want to get back as quickly as possible. So like nine days is is a big difference psychologically, especially in terms of getting back into those environments, you know, and getting around potentially those social circles again. Like there's just a lot that goes into it, really. Um, I think obviously once we've developed from there, then what I see a lot of is that people kind of get to a point where their symptoms start to drop and then they're like, right, rehab done. And then yeah. obviously jump right, you know, straight back in plug back into a training program, right, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, and as you know, it's it's they're often at a, a point there where they're, they're not actually properly rehabbed and they've maybe done even half of, of the rehab really that they need to do. Um, and there's such a jump there between potentially doing some some low-grade exercises uh, and, and bodyweight stuff to all of a sudden jumping back into what's essentially, you know, plyometric activity, activity with, the, with so much repetition cycles. Like there's this massive jump in between starting, you know, with some some low-grade exercises and then being like, right, I'm just going to try a 5K and see how it is. Like there's a huge gap there. Um, and that's, again, part of that education process to show those kind of different stages of, well, we need to make sure that you can take this certain amount of load and have we got the capacity to go down to, you know, maybe even, for instance, like six to eight repetitions, which can be quite quite heavy in some, some instances and need some external kit. Um, can we do things like plyometrics? Can we hop on the spot for 30 seconds, for instance? Different tests like this and make sure that they're really ready and they feel ready again psychologically to be able to go right. Okay, let's reintroduce you know running properly. Um, and I think again going through more of a robust kind of building stage like that, and going through this kind of battery of tests, that can again boost that kind of confidence to be like right, yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. Instead of the kind of classic, okay, symptoms, yeah, I feel better. Okay, go try your little run, go easy, and see how it goes. Like which is a lot of the advice that will get given out. And it just, for me, needs to be a lot more specific than that in terms of how we reintroduce forces back to the body and back to that problematic area. Um, so 
it might be then a case of doing things like, can we build in walking? Can we build in different speeds of walking? Uh, can we you know, use inclines, declines, things like this, and just reintroduce those forces gently and then reintroduce you know, walk-run sections? Can we build that over time? And then again, build in different types of frequencies, uh, durations, volumes, intensities. Uh, so yeah, I, I just think it, it kind of it's very easy to kind of like be really minimalistic with a with a return to run program whereas re in reality when you want to do it properly and you want to you know really reduce the risk of stuff going wrong in the future there, there's just a lot more to it that's all yeah the idea of all those tests um is certainly a, a, a great idea um and like you say there's so much you can do in in a confined space without going and doing the whole run cycle and, and going off you know 20 30 minutes or whatever it is and and giving it a go but certainly the idea of those plyometrics on the spot or some some strength with a bit of, of weight in there um i guess it must depend as well on the the type and severity of the injury how fast people can can come back to but let's take um say if you had a couple of weeks off um during a plan for something that you were doing like a marathon is there is there still time in that plan to come back you know and and still get to that marathon do the goals need to change or is it completely you know if you've had to take some time off is that a real red flag to the point where you should really be thinking of pulling out of, of that marathon. I'm get, I, obviously it's it's very individual and it, it, that's a very um, generalistic question. But in your experience, if if someone has say halfway through the marathon cycle, a, a couple of weeks off, what does that mean for the marathon? Yeah, um, I get like you said. I mean, very individual. Um, but essentially, some people absolutely fine they'll be able to pull back in. Um, again, it might be a steady intro in terms of like building back into that and be a little bit, um, I think cautious is probably the wrong word, but just just be mindful when they're going back into things. I think like a, a lot of the time what we'll give, depending on, again, like what the injury is or what the irritation is, it might be a case of like we give some little rules around stuff. So very commonly, like you'll hear this a lot now, um, which will be, okay, you can, you can run, if your symptoms stay um let's say below like a five out of ten so if you know tens excruciating pain ones you know barely noticing anything then generally if it's not going above a five you go bit you'll be okay basically um and that's very common and i think i quite like that um there's obviously again depends on the person some people's five uh you know they're wincing um <laughs> So, and some people have five, you know, they're barely moving as well. So it, it depends on the person, obviously. And again, that, that kind of comes back to the confidence thing that we said earlier and, you know, where they're at psychologically with it too. Um, but yeah, I think it's overall, you're not going to lose a lot within say like a two week period. You're not going to lose much in terms of like from aerobic efficiency and that side of things. And same from a tissue um, standpoint, either you're not going to lose a ton of capacity in a couple of weeks. Um, certainly again, it's, it's one of those where there's not many cases aside from things like bone stress related injuries um, where we'd say, okay, you need to just not run right now. Mm. Um, if it's super, super irritable. So um, for instance, if we've got someone with like an Achilles tendinopathy and they're just, you know, every step, they're just like wincing and they're just like, nice, I just can't do anything. I can't walk on it or anything. Then something like that. Okay. We need to let that just settle down and just, you know, have a little bit of rest just to allow the symptoms to settle. And then we rebuild back in. And um, if that's the case and they've taken two weeks out, it depends on where they are in that marathon plan and how yeah. far they are obviously from the race. Um, if they're very close and someone's that irritable, that far out, um, yeah, I'm probably going to be kind of having that discussion with them and obviously getting their thoughts again on what they think, you know, what what how they feel about it and what they think they'd like to do with that. And um, again, it's never really my call to make those bigger calls, but obviously I'm there to advise um, and to give obviously that professional opinion on things. Um, but yeah, I think overall for many people, if it's more of an irritation and they can take, you know, they've got a couple of weeks out and that's absolutely fine. Um, and then it's just a case of, again, like, let's just go in and just try some some easy kind of like walk runs. And again, we can build some different volume in there as well and just split up the forces a little bit and then have those markers in terms of symptoms, not going above five out of 10. 
And then looking at that, for instance, like a 24 hour pattern afterwards as well. So within finishing the session, uh, if your symptoms did rise up, um, did they return back to baseline within 24 hours? Uh, if yes, then generally that's okay. Um, and if no, then right, okay, we maybe need to just change things a little bit and just get you to that point and then work that as your new baseline basically and then just build from there again. Yeah, that's definitely um, ex that's definitely um, advice I've been given in the past, although you must be harder in the north of England because for me it was three out of ten. Was it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's interesting you say as well about the 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 different times that that might flare up as well. So sometimes I think for certain injuries, you know, it gets worse on the run, but I hear quite a lot of times people saying, oh, it felt fine on the run, but then afterwards, you know, the 24 hours afterwards, that's when it sort of flared up again. And so it's, it's I think people think, well, the running's fine then, it's not the running. They want to yeah. delineate the two things, but um, it's important, obviously, the effect that that runs had. Um, what what are the reasons for that? What, why would someone feel something in a run or feel it afterwards? What's happening there in the body? Yeah, again, we don't know for sure. Um, there's a lot of, when it comes to pain, like it's super complex. So pain, again, is very um, not well understood. Um, we've, there's a hell of a lot of research that's gone into pain. Um, but again, especially when it comes to more like persistent pain as well, it's very, very complex. Um, I think when it comes to patterns like this, it can be what we call sensitization. So the brain can basically uh, sense that it's under some kind of threat or the body is un under some kind of threat. And it basically, if you think of it like a volume knob, and it kind of turns it up a little bit. So it might go, that that's maybe like a, you know, a five out of 10, essentially, is it kind of turns it up to there. Um, and then we can obviously turn it back down from there as well. It's looking at what are the factors that are influencing it. So is it purely from, um, you know, did I go out and, and run and then I just rested and didn't really move it um, and therefore and it ramps up? Okay, and it might be, okay, well, did I run and then did I, when I rested, but I kind of kept it moving a little bit and it felt a little bit better. So it's looking at these kind of influences of it. Um, and sometimes you might have an inflammatory process going on potentially. Um, but a lot of the times I think things get put down to inflammation or an inflammatory process, but they're not necessarily that's not necessarily what's going on or we don't know for sure. Um, it's not always the thing that drives pain, but it's very much something that gets pushed, isn't it? In terms of like, right, well, you know, it must be inflamed. So therefore naturally people start having things like anti-inflammatories and things like this as well to help manage it. Whereas actually with some, uh, with, with some injuries uh, specifically as well, it can actually slow healing rates. So if we do have issues going on, um, for instance, like with, with uh, bone stress related injuries, it certainly, it slows down healing, having anti-inflammatories uh, with tendons as well. It can make a difference in terms of the uh, the recovery rates. Um, so there's a few different influences there. So again, it's um, th there's no clear answers, unfortunately, with it. I'd love to be able to just give clear answers. It's never the case, is it? <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think so individual. I, yeah. One interesting thing there is the anti-inflammatories, because I think that is something that quite a lot of people would just take religiously almost if if they feel something um i'm in a way kind of the opposite because i i like to know where the pain is and, and how it's feeling but i know obviously anti-inflammatories have have another uh, function there obviously to reduce the inflammation when should people be using anti-inflammatories then if if sometimes it slows down healing yeah i think um again uh... Oh, always, obviously, you know, speak to a medical professional with regards to it. I think the um, that that's the gold standard. Obviously, is you know have that conversation with the right people. Um, but certainly, I think from overall, obviously, professional opinion here is more so to do with things like post-surgical um, intervention. So it's it's more a case for me. I think is is controlling inflammation as opposed to trying to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So. It's very much like when someone's acutely injured, we obviously have this inflammatory process that, that happens. Um, and again, you know, it's quite a natural thing that we've kind of been taught over the years, isn't it? To kind of, you know, pop the anti-inflammatories, make that go away, makes the pain better. Here we go. Um, what it does is obviously that inflammatory process is there for a reason. And it, and it helps to really draw goodness to the area. And it actually really facilitates the healing process. 
So if we obviously take that away, then what it does is basically just prolong that that healing process essentially. So it's very much like they're okay to take, um, but it's it's usually a case of the timing that can be a little bit more important. So if anything, you want to at least leave it for kind of like the first day, for instance, let your body do what it needs to do with that inflammatory process um, and help kind of facilitate that healing. And then um, again, not that I'm a prescriber or anything, but then start to basically um, kind of lay them into the system a little bit there just to help more so like manage symptom levels and inflammatory processes. It's just making sure that the uh, inflammatory process can do what it needs to do before you start trying to manage the levels of it. Um, If it's something where, you know, you literally cannot move uh, because of this, you know, balloon knee uh, or something like that, then obviously, you know, there's, there's an issue there that, that can help. And again, it won't get rid of all the inflammation, but it'll just help manage the levels. Um, so it can be useful there. Um, but I think a lot, a lot of the time people end up in um, or can do end up in a bit of long term usage, which, which can obviously not not be good as well for the system. And obviously can be very heavy in terms of its um obviously it's effect on in terms of like the liver and the kidneys as well. So again, very much, you know, going through medical professionals and making sure that everything is, you know, monitored well and is, is prescribed as need be basically. Um, so yeah, again, there's no offer on, I think I get sometimes some people will come in and they'll, they'll be a little bit kind of like, right. I don't want to take any medication because I want to know how things feel, but I think there's also maybe a level to that as well. Whereas we know that we need to get movement in the system quite early on as well. And we need to start loading when we can. And a lot of the time when people are in so much pain that they just can't do that. So again, it's getting that balance of, again, mediating that that kind of response and being able to say, okay, well, let's just take a step back and think about what we need to do and what's going to help facilitate it. And sometimes if it's something, it might not be an anti-inflammatory, um, more likely to be something, say like, a, you know, just over-the-counter paracetamol or something like that which can just help just take the edge off things a little bit. They can actually start to just use that, that area a little bit more, um, but it's still kind of manageable. Um, and, and again, you know, I'm not a prescriber. I'm not, a, that's not my area, but certainly from just, again, a bit of a broader view, really just something to think about. Um, but again, obviously, you know, speak to speak to the, the relevant professionals really on, on that side of things. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. And also a reminder about, you know, things happen in the body for a reason. So inflammation, I think, gets cast around as a, a bad thing. But obviously mm-hmm. there's 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 times when that's important and um it, it's good to remember that as well. Um let's talk about the the mental side of being injured. We've talked a bit about someone who goes through sort of constant cycle of injuries, but what about someone who maybe was flying flying high and then has an unexpected injury and has to rehab that back and, and maybe reassess goals. How do you approach that? And how does how how can that person stay positive um when they have had a setback? Yeah, yeah, great question. Obviously something that's like really common as well. Um I think with that again, it's it's very much going to be individualized again. Um, but in I think in the grand scheme of things, it's about picking out what that person is potentially or, or what they perceive to be missing out on. So what are their, <laughs> to get there, so what are their values? Like where, why do they run? Like why, wh- what do they value in life? How do they want to show up as a person? And it can be, seem quite deep <laughs> with Definitely. some questions like that. But essentially when when you really dig into it and kind of scratch past that surface level, like usually people have got a really deep reason for actually why they are a runner as well. There's certainly obviously a lot of people that will, um, you know, run to help kind of manage their mental health and things as well. So it's, it's having a, an appreciation of that impact that it will have on them, not just from the physical perspective, but actually what that means in the, the grand scheme of things for them as well. So I think it's, it's that kind of really picking out, you know, what does this mean to you? Um, and again, starting off with some quite broad open questions and, and just really getting a sense of, you know, what, what potentially again, is that perception of what's being missed out on? And then how can we help to kind of plug those gaps a little bit, um, with things maybe that aren't running right now. So 
you know, can we, if it's a social thing, you know, can we still go, like say if it's with the running club, like can we still get you around those people? Can we still, you know, can you still rock up at club runs? And like, you might not be going on the run, but at least go and see, see everyone for five or 10 minutes before, have a good chat and a catch up, maybe go for a coffee or something afterwards, you know, just like, something that keeps them within that environment that they don't feel like they're, they're just really separated from, from kind of who they were basically in terms of that social circle. Um, and again, just kind of, again, what's, what's their management process. And this is something that I've talked about quite a lot in the past is not purely just having running for things like managing mental health. Um, again, it can be fantastic and there's so many benefits to it, but if it's everything, and then that's all of a sudden, you know, taken away from something like like through injury. It, it can be quite dangerous because it's it puts potentially people in a really dark place where you know they, they feel a bit lost without it. So you know what what can be done there, and and let's not wait until we're injured necessarily as well, and try and be a bit proactive with that. And you know what else do you enjoy? Like what are your passions in life? Like what what gets you out of bed on the morning? You know, like aside from running what does that look like? And then let's, let's maximize that, you know, and kind of, you know, have you thought about maybe trying this or trying that and, you know, some different activities and, and just really kind of maybe I think because we can become really hyper-focused when we're injured into just right. I, I'm an injured runner right now and it be, can become a bit of an identity. Yeah, um, That's a great, that's a great reminder. Um, It's something that I've said before and, I, and something I haven't taken my own advice on because when I haven't been able to run, I know that that affects my mental health and um, I know I need to get moving and do something. I'm not particularly fond of of swimming, but that's probably been the one thing that I would maybe go to, but it's not something I particularly enjoy. So I don't really have that thing to replace running. And it's certainly not something that I keep in my sort of weekly um toolbox at the minute just I just don't have the time to do the running that I'm doing uh the strength training everything else in life and then swimming on top but it's it it's good to as you say to remember to think about those things now when you're not injured because it's probably even harder to try and to snap into something when you are injured and I know for myself um again there's things that you know you should be focusing on um, as a nutritionist. I know I should be focusing on nutrition, but it's, it seems very easy when you can't move about and you're sort of sat on the, on the sofa to start eating, eating badly. So what are some of the things like nutrition, for instance, that people should focus on and how can, how do you make that happen whilst people are not maybe in the best frame of mind to do that? Yeah, great question. Um, I think I kind of pull this back a little bit, kind of one step back to what we said a little bit of, you know, when you're before, like before injury, hopefully it doesn't happen, but, you know, whilst, you know, if you're in a non-injured state, if you kind of ask people things like, um, it's questions around if if I have more time, which is generally the thing that will come up, isn't it? People say, I would do, but I haven't got any more time to do that. So, okay, well, let's flip that on its head a little bit. So if you have more time, what would you be doing? So, and, you know, kind of pull that a little bit almost from the subconscious of like, okay, actually, I quite like to try this and do this, but, you know, it's not realistic at the moment in my current schedule because of the running that I'm doing and everything. So what would I do? And what are the things that I know I should be focusing on more right now, like you just said? but I'm probably not so, uh, not so much. So what are those things? And start to almost like build that out a little bit. And it doesn't have to be done all in one go. I think like sometimes people just get a bit overwhelmed with like the level of what this looks like because it's quite a big task, really. Um, so it's kind of splitting it down a little bit and be, okay, we'll just spend even, you know, 10 minutes a week just asking, you know, even just that question. Okay, you know, if you had more time, what would I do? Yeah, Simple as that, you know? That's amazing. Actually, just as you was you were you were given that answer, I was just thinking the one thing for me and and one thing that we share is is the music, and that's something mm-hmm. that I don't again make the time for. I mean, but you, as you say, ten minutes a week just to do something um, that you enjoy doing and 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 you're really passionate about. Um, 
um, there's there's activities there that I would call flow activities, which are great for for stress relief, and and you know music would be one for me, but it could be anything, you know, knitting or reading books or going for a walk or whatever it is. Um, just trying to get those into your life anyway to to manage stress in, in everyday life is a great idea. Um, but also thinking about that time when you could be injured and having those activities to go to for for a bit more of that um is a, is a great idea um so that that's a great reminder i think for everyone um we talked a little bit about you said injury or uh, injury prone runners or people who are more prone to injuries it might be because of a historical injury um and that and we don't really know what the mechanism is why why that that is why it keep, it might you might have uh, problems over uh, over time with that, but what kind of things can you do to mitigate a re-injury? So to give a specific example and um, to be selfish, I'll say my sprained ankle um, back in 2018, it was, I feel like that foot has never been quite the same. And I always sort of have those little ankle niggles. So I I do strengthening work on that on that side, especially. Um, I'll do do strengthening anyway. But what kinds of things is that always going to be a problem area? And is there any any way you can mitigate that? Yeah, I think to to a certain extent. Um, I think there, there's always going to be. I mean, essentially, we know from like physically injured tissue, um, it may not go to 100 percent of what it used to be in the past. Um, so, but that's not to say, cause a lot of people think, okay, well that means, you know, it, it's more likely to get injured. Um, what we can do though, is that we can actually make it stronger anyway. Um, in, in the longer terms, so it's not necessarily that it's, it's a heightened risk of injury purely because of the, the change in the, the tissue itself in terms of the actual kind of fibers in that area, because what we can do is we can actually strengthen everything around that as well. So we, we think of things that there in terms of more like an area rather than one specific site and actually ha- what's the functionality of that area instead of purely just what is that, that bit of that tissue doing <laughs> that makes sense. So um, when I say tissue, I mean, generally we, we talk about in therapy, like soft tissues and things like that. So like muscles, tendons, ligaments, et cetera, um, they all kind of sit within this umbrella. So it's very much just the case of like thinking about, well, what's, what's the outcome that I'm looking to achieve with it? Um, do I feel obviously that it's there? So if you're doing strength work, what does that look like? There's when it comes to strength as well, I think there's, it's kind of one of those where sometimes we, I think we talk about it a lot now. Um, and there's, probably too much in a, in a certain instance where other stuff starts being missed a little bit because it's like, do your strength work, do your strength work. And yes, it is super important. And I'm a big advocate of doing it, uh, do it myself as well. Um, but I think it's not this kind of panacea that we think it is in terms of in- injury risk as well. So there's so much more that comes into things. It's very much then in terms of, um, for instance, like with your, your ankle roll, for instance. So, you can lose what's called proprioception sometimes with that too. So with the ligaments get sprained and they can lose, it's basically like a joint position sense. So the, the brain's perception of where the joint is in space. So that can get dampened a little bit. So then therefore when it comes to being a little bit more kind of reactive, um, especially on, you know, on the fells and things like that as well. Um, it's being able to train not just strength, but then it's also looking at things like reactive strength as well. So actually, and, and power, you know, how can we react better to these environments and obviously varying environments as well. So the, the best thing you can do there is probably, you know, keep on the fells, um, you know, give this kind of different training stimulus and these different environments where it's very unpredictable um, and, and you can train that and you can train that reactivity. There's always going to be a level there, obviously, that's like, you know, it, you know, it just happens sometimes, doesn't it? You know, and you, you go over in, a, in like a hole or something like it just can't be avoided. Um, but to a certain extent, I think it's very much a case of like we go from kind of being more general with things with rehab, same in, in strength condition. And then we, we become more specific as we move towards obviously our target. So and it just wants to be pretty similar there. So it's not that we have to do tons and tons of strength work forevermore um, on the area. We want to get to a certain level and then just try and basically maintain that level. But then we're just working on all the qualities and all the different things that we can do around that, too. Um and when we've had a previous injury in an area, 
the, your brain will basically, again, it, it may sensitize the area a little bit more. So what I kind of mean with that is sometimes where this kind of threshold of where we start to feel pain can drop a little bit. So once we've been injured once, the brain uh, basically perceives this threat and therefore it brings down the threshold for threat. So if it thinks, right, okay, something's going to happen here, it's much more likely to you know, switch on those, th- those neural pathways and therefore you experience pain, um, but with a much lower level of threat. And that can happen. That happens very much in persistent pain as well. And that's why a lot of people that start to do less and less and less over time because they're in pain actually can experience more and more pain over time with even less activity. Whereas there's there's a level there that we need to start, again, building confidence and, and building that trust again in the body so that it can get to a point where actually your brain just goes, ah, we've been here before, it's fine. Um, and it doesn't give that same pain response um, and it's suit like literally that information sometimes can can like set people free. Um, and, and it's so nice to see when it finally really drops and people are like, yeah, I don't have to be afraid of this anymore. And even when I experience pain, it doesn't mean that I've damaged something because it's just not that simple. It's it's there as a as a response, but it doesn't tell us what's happened or even if anything's really gone wrong. It's just a bit of a signal to say, oh, just be careful. And mm. and that's it, really. That's what it's there for. And obviously, as that persists, if we ignore it and we we kind of we don't manage it very well, then you're more likely to feel, you know, more pain or higher intensity of pain. Um, but actually, if we manage that well and we go, oh, yeah, no, I get you. <laughs> we'll just pull back a little bit. And this is, you know, again, on the grand scheme of things with like training loads and things as well, like adapting programming to fit things like this. It's not to say that we need to stop things. It's just a signal for change, is always. That's really interesting. You should say that because that's how my ankle feels to me. Like it, it's most of the time it's fine, and then I know that if I've sort of pushed it a little bit, um, mm-hmm. one week, slightly higher load, it'll just be there saying, "Yeah, are you sure about this?" But it's also interesting about whether that's whether that's quote unquote real pain or if it's just my my brain saying yeah I think you've maybe done a bit too much this week you know it's 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 so interesting about the whole where does pain come from and how does that manifest um so yeah really interesting about that um you've alluded a bit uh already to your coaching and services that you offer but is there anything else you you'd like to tell the listeners about um your coaching and therapy business and exactly what services you do offer? Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, like I say, I mean, overall, I obviously offer the coaching and we have the kind of, we have coaching for performance and we have coaching in terms of the rehab coaching. So getting literally a bit of that overview again, um, like that, I guess, holistic approach, basically going from, you know, injured right through to performing again. Um, and then I've, I've recently started offering um, testing sessions. So doing a little bit of, which is something that's quite controversial for me, actually, but doing doing a little bit of a gait analysis. Um, so previously, it's been something that I've been a little bit like, almost a bit skeptical about and been like, mm, do we really need this? Like, you know, what is this actually bringing to the table? Um, so what I've done is I've kind of mixed it in uh, with things. So it's not, I'm not kind of, let's say, I don't like the word prescribing, but I'm not I'm not giving interventions based purely upon some figures from my guess analysis because I just think it's not enough in, information, mm. but it just gives us a little bit more information to kind of build in. So, and what it does is because uh, the system that I'm using picks it up on sensors, um, it can be often things that we just can't see either. So it's been really useful for people that have got a history of injuries and actually looking at how well has this been rehabbed in the past. So it started to show some really interesting data um, on sides and like favoring sides and things as well. So, and again, whether it just comes back to, you know, better buying into a rehab process potentially, um, but it just gives us that little bit more information and we mix that in with uh, strength testing, power testing, um, and kind of develop a much broader uh, package basically and sit down and go through their training loads. And again, it ends up being actually quite a, a kind of big session and discussion um, around everything and how everything fits together rather than I didn't just want to offer like I do gait analysis and 
you know, this is the way that you run, you know, you might want to think about this and that be it. Cause I just think it's, it's not enough for me. It, it's, it doesn't really, there's not enough there evidence wise to say that we actually need to change the way that we're running um, to, you know, mitigate again, injury risk or even uh, to a certain extent perform better depending on the person really. So I think within that, really, it's obviously we've got the coaching side, the rehab coaching, uh, obviously just started the testings, uh, which have been really good so far. Um, and then obviously I offer like a um, like an online therapy session um, as well for people. So if uh, it started obviously within the pandemic, but obviously it works very well within that. So and just continued it. So I, I kind of see a lot of different runners now from a lot of coaches referring. Um, so Again, I think it's just because we have a really nice working relationship and we communicate a lot between me and the coach uh, and obviously the the runner as well and kind of all work together rather than uh, just saying, right, okay, here's some exercises, go away and do them. It's very much, it becomes a, a, you know, a little team basically and we all work together to make sure they get back properly. Yeah, I love that idea of it's not just go go in get a set of exercise and away you go it's it's much more in, in depth conversation from what it sounds like um so the coaching and the therapy is either in person or online and the, i'm guessing mm-hmm. the testing has to be in person then in in leeds is that right yeah at the moment it's uh that's in in person um what i'll do is i'll i'll put in on on the coaching I actually put certain testing anyway um within uh, that too but it's just a little bit different we just modify the testing a little bit that's all um, just so we get the the figures a different way so yeah and gait gait analysis is also something i'm i'm i have been a little bit skeptical about i mean i will always mm. tell people to go and get their gait analysis done and get the right pair of shoes but i'm always a, a believer that the right pair of shoes are the ones that feel the best and you don't have any niggles from running in them and that that's what's good for you i used to wear stability shoes and i also think this is just anecdotally from my own running i feel like as i've progressed my gait has probably changed and now i run run in neutral shoes um what what's your take on stability and neutral is that something that you would prescribe having have having now done the the testing um process yeah. for the gait analysis so really, I think this is um, brings it back to a big point, I guess, is that the the gait analysis typically uh, is, from what people generally understand, is to sell shoes, isn't it? And that is absolutely not what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of the time, it, it doesn't give us that information with regards yeah. to shoes, really. Because um, typically with, um, and again, you know, no fault of their own or anything, but a lot of gait analysis isn't really gait analysis. It's kind of watching what the ankle's doing as you're running on a treadmill. Like that, that for me isn't gait analysis. Um, <laughs> that's watching your ankle do something while you run. So it, it's a case of that really and kind of what this means. So we're, we're looking at this from a, a perspective of, for instance, like in, in therapy, uh, we use it very much in terms of like uh, symptom modification. So if someone's got symptoms in a certain area, um, we might look at the way that they're running the, and basically how they're loading that area and then give them some some options, basically, in terms of like, can we modify the, the pain that you're experiencing in that area whilst you're running? Usually just as a short-term thing. Um, so it it's not like a life sentence. Um, and it can be similar in terms, obviously, um, you know, orthotic devices and things in shoes as well is a lot of the time, like they're just meant to be short-term interventions to then, you know, help symptoms settle. They might move slightly differently, potentially, or at least shift force slightly differently through using those devices. And um, But in the long term, they, they shouldn't necessarily need them for the rest of their life. Um, it can be different in different instances, obviously, and there's certain things where people have had surgeries or they might have, you know, certain pathologies in the body, which mean it is more of a long-term thing. Um, but for many people, it's just a case of being really simple and being like, okay, can we just modify your gait a little bit? So it makes it a bit more comfortable to run for you just while this settles down. And then we'll start to just basically just naturally go back into your normal running style after that, really. Um, so it's more so kind of thinking on on that line of thought, I guess, rather than just like, I'm going to try and sell you some shoes here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally appreciate that. And it's it's always something that I've been a bit, but because when I first did it, you know, it's, it's what everyone does. They go in a running shop and and have that done. And I was always a bit skeptical about it. I mean, 
after a while running in those stability shoes, I was running in them for years and I was scared to change it because there was nothing wrong. But at, mm. at, the, at the back of my head, I felt like I don't really need those. I, I don't really know why I'm buying these shoes. Um, mm. But yeah, certainly makes sense from from an injury um, point of view and and different loading and and different balances. Um, it sounds far more in depth and and far more useful than the the gait analysis that we probably all know and uh, I was going to say love, but <laughs> not love. Um, I would love to selfishly know a little bit about um, if you've had time uh, about the Rob Burrow Marathon um, in May because um, I'm also I'm a Leeds lad. Um, I was uh, born and bred in Leeds, so. For anyone who doesn't know, Rob Burrow was uh, is or was a rugby league player um, who has motor neuron disease now, um, and there's been a lot of um, a fundraising with uh, by Kevin Senfield, who is his his club mate. So the Rob Burrow Marathon was from Headingley Stadium in Leeds, I think, or it finished in Headingley Stadium, and it was when we found out about it. My two brothers who are both marathoners. Um, we we were interested in doing it. We wanted to do it, but I had Boston um, only three or four weeks before, so um, I decided it wasn't probably the best idea to plan that in. Um, as well as the fact that it was around my fortieth as well, so there's lots going on. So we didn't end up doing it. But how was that marathon for you? Um, and how many had you done before? Because I tried to dig up stats as I always do on Run Britain rankings. Couldn't find much about you so was that that wasn't your first no or it was it, it was only my second, second. um okay. so yeah i'd done i'd done the yorkshire marathon uh previous to that um and then yeah so that was a, the second marathon it was uh it was interesting obviously really different course to yorkshire um so it's i mean i suppose it's everyone talks about it don't they there's there's a, a bit of a hill climb shall we say um uh, probably not the best time in the marathon um so yeah, it's generally like most of the climbing kind of starts around mile 18, I believe, around there. Um, and yeah, kind of going up the side of Otwish Evan. So it's quite um, it's quite a climb. Um, seemingly kind of never ending at the time. Uh, I think the on the day, it was forecast that it was going to be quite uh, quite cool, kind of like nice, nice running conditions. So yeah, all good. Everyone prepped for that. And then uh, it turned on the day, uh, all the clouds moved, the sun came out and uh, yeah, everyone just basically suffered until the end. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible when that happens. Um, you wouldn't expect it to happen in Leeds. Um, happened to me in Berlin. When I did Berlin Marathon, it, it was hot there and it, it just makes such a, a big difference to your 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 um your expectations for the race, I guess. How did you manage with the 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 expectations did you have time expectations and you had to refactor those or what was your what was your plan for it yeah yes and no I I kind of basically for me I was kind of like you know what if I just do um steady build for it um and I'll just go for like sub four um I'm happy with um and with the amount of climbing and things within that too I was like I'm, I'm cool with that so um went out with that um, on the day, I had a bit of a nightmare as well. So um, I, let, I got everything prepped, obviously, the night before, got everything ready, got to the day, got got to the start line, went to go press start on uh, on my watch, realised I didn't have my watch. Uh, so I was like, all right, okay, another challenge. Um, but it, it was really good, actually. It was a nice test of, um, so kind of, I, I kind of used to reflect back to a lot of my kind of coach runners as well, actually. It was like, you know, the, this kind of sense of using, you know, perceived effort as well. And, you know, where actually do I sit within my training? How does that feel? Do I know, you know, roughly where I'm at kind of like pace wise of when I'm running? And it was a really nice test of that. Um, and, and it was really good, actually. <laughs> Luckily turned out in a very positive way. So I got my sub four. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was good. It was just a case of like using those challenges really and being like, okay, I need to be a bit more savvy here about where I'm pushing because of the temperature as well. Um, so just, you know, take it nice and easy on the hills and just kind of, you know, pull back a little bit and then push on the downs where I know I'm quite solid anyway on the downs. Um, and then just managing in terms of um, the, the hydration status, obviously change a little bit in terms of the day. Um, luckily, uh, I don't like obviously taking things that I've not tried in training. But there was things they had um, electrolyte drinks there as well, yeah. um, which was very useful. So being able to kind of top up a little bit more than I would have done previously 
so a lot of people seem to suffer on that side of things with the heat. Uh, whereas luckily I didn't, I didn't seem to have any issues there. Um, and yeah, kind of came out of it and, and felt good, thankfully. So Brilliant. yeah, all good. Congratulations. And that's great to hear that you don't need a watch to run um, because it's something that I'm certainly um, quite married to, but I'm always telling people, telling my clients to try and go on uh, effort as much as anything and to really sort of dial that in and know what that effort level is. And for me, I'm I'm targeting cross countries soon, which is complete departure from normal road races. And, and that's where I really need to be able to dial in the right effort because the pace is kind of irrelevant. It's going to change completely depending on, you know, the conditions underfoot. So yeah, that effort level and, and being able to check in it sounds like you you had that dialed in uh, completely from the start. And also sometimes I wonder whether the watch actually holds us back. You know, we, we believe that we can only do a certain pace and then once it's gone and you have to rely on what you're able to do, sometimes for some people you can actually go a bit harder or a bit faster than you actually think you can. Yeah, definitely. There's always that scope, isn't it? I suppose as long as you've got, you know, you want obviously a bit of a a plan for the race, but also not just like a plan as well, isn't it? It's having multiple strategies so that you can go through and be like, okay, you know, in this scenario, this, in this scenario, this, and obviously have a few different ones to go at. And then obviously as you build into the race, then you get a sense of where things are at, especially, you know, halfway marker, getting to 15, 16 miles and being like, okay, from here, where am I going to pitch this pace, you know, or at least this effort and how's this, how's this going to go, uh, based on obviously what I've done in that first half of the marathon, which is obviously super important. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, this has been so valuable. Thank you so much for, for spending time coming on and talking to us. Um, it's so much for people to take away, uh, where can people come and find out more about you if they want to? Uh, yeah, so at the moment I've got, uh, so Instagram is probably the easiest way. So it is rockstar underscore runners. So that's my uh, little kind of tag, I guess, on on Instagram. Uh, currently got a website just in the making at the moment. So that'll be rockstarrunners.com. Um, so that'll be up, hoping to get that up in the next couple of months, I believe. Um, so just working on things in the background. Um, but yeah, like to just keep it nice and simple. And uh, that's probably the best ways to, to find me. Perfect. I will um, link both of those um, in the notes. Um, well, certainly the Instagram, um, maybe add on the website once it's there. But um, yeah, um, go and follow Chris. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Rockstar underscore runners on Instagram. Uh, thank you so much. And hopefully we will hear from you again soon. Yeah, great. No, thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate you taking the time and I hope you've got something to take away and action in your own running. If you enjoyed the show, please hit subscribe and recommend it to someone you know. If you're struggling with your own training or want to get faster and stronger and not sure how to, therunningrules.com forward slash coaching is where you can find out more about getting personalized help with your running and nutrition to take you to the next level. Have a great week, stay consistent, focused, and most importantly, enjoy your running.